Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. Let's check in with Joseph Lindsley in Ukraine. And uh, good afternoon to you there in Ukraine, Joseph. Uh, Here's my question for you today. Do you think we have a situation now in Ukraine where Putin is not going to change anything? He's not going to change course until the outcome of our election here? And for that matter, do you you wonder if Netanyahu is waiting to see who wins our election before he pulls back or changes anything um, in in Gaza? What's your opinion on that? Well, Bob, good afternoon from Kiev. And, you know, this is something that everyone here, I think, is thinking about to to a large degree. But I think if you look, and I think probably Putin's, certainly Putin's aware of this, if you look behind the scenes a bit, it's not even, you know, whoever's in charge, whoever wins the election uh, is not the only determinant of the policy. And, you know, it's, for example, so it's, you know, we saw uh, the other day, uh, uh, former President Trump was speaking at a rally, and these very inflammatory words he said. He, he was quoting something he said uh, to NATO leaders when he was president, and he said, if you don't increase your defense spending, if you don't pay the promised 2% of your GDP uh, for, for defense, which is a requirement of being in NATO, he said the very inflammatory words, I hope Russia invades you. And when you first look at that, you know, all the headlines, you know, ran with this saying, oh, Russia, uh, Trump is calling for Russia to invade Europe. Uh, and President Biden responded saying that Trump's words were appalling and dangerous. And on the face of it, that seems the case. But if you look closer, I mean, you know, the, the White House, you, you could also argue maybe it's appalling and dangerous to say you're supporting Ukraine, to wave the colors of Ukraine and to use it to score political points. But still... You know, we're approaching the two-year anniversary, and to after almost two years, to refuse to send long-range weapons, to refuse to refuse to give Ukraine permission to use, uh, you know, to hit targets on Russian soil. Uh, you know, Ukraine is only allowed life support, and not tools for victory. And you know, I think the press corps in the U.S. really does have to ask. I mean, you know, who's in charge of the White House's strategy? Uh, by many accounts, it seems that it is Jake Sullivan, uh, the national security advisor. And this, this policy of sort of appeasement and keeping Ukraine somewhat alive, but not making things possible for victory. And so we have and then we, we see Trump, you know, has been urging NATO, you know, for, for when he was president for years to wake up and to meet the, that 2 percent threshold. And it's pretty astounding that even after two years of war in Europe, uh, 19 of 30 NATO member states, according to NATO information, are still spending below the promised 2 percent threshold. There's, there's, you know, Germany uh, and France uh, and other nations are still, and Norway, for example, are still not spending that basic 2%, even though those are very wealthy nations with a lot of means. And, this, you know, I hear a lot of, I hear people in Ukraine say something similar to what President Trump said. They, they speak out of frustration sometimes. For example, when we see uh, the protest of the truckers in, in countries like Hungary and Poland blocking the border with Ukraine, preventing supplies for, uh, for, from entering the country, I hear people here, foreigners and Ukrainians, say something very similar to what Trump said, out of deep frustration. Okay, fine, I hope Russia invades you. You know, if Ukraine loses, you're, you're next. Uh, and so I think we all have to look at that in that context a little bit uh, and realize that this is 
bigger than just one person who's in, you know becomes the president of the United States. Uh, there's a lot maneuvering behind the scenes, and the Russians like to manipulate this. And and that's what I think what we saw in in Putin's uh, lecture. I don't think we can call it an interview, but his lecture with Tucker Carlson, uh, his lecture to Tucker Carlson. Uh, you know, Putin made it very clear that he doesn't believe uh, Ukraine should exist, uh, but he also believes in this idea, you know, the Russian hegemony. That And, and I think, you know, we, we look at everything he said in his actions, uh, Europe needs to be prepared. And I, so I think uh, this is, it's more important to convince people, especially in the West and Washington, of why this fight matters than to worry about who's going to be president. That reminds me, uh, <laughs> this text came in on Friday. I love this. Joseph should request an interview with Tucker Carlson. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? <laughs> I would, that I would actually would like to have that, a conversation. And I, uh, you know, I, I, I know, he know, you know, and I'm sure he remembers me. We knew each other uh, back in the days of Fox News and uh, the Weekly Standard. And, you know, I saw a video from when Tucker was in Moscow right before he did his interview or before he listened to Putin's lecture. And he was praising Moscow, just walking around, and he had uh, state media around him, you know, because there's no free press. And he was praising the architecture. And <laughs> I was thinking of this, while, you know, of Tucker marveling in Moscow, uh, while on uh, Saturday morning I, t- I took a long run uh, through the city of Kiev, just to clear my mind. And I realized, you know, it, when we think of Moscow, we think of the Kremlin. Uh, the Kremlin is the... You know, that, that is the symbol, that is the, the central public space in Moscow, and it's, it's all about power and the government. And I realized, you know, in Kiev, Kiev is a city that is several hundred, about 200 years older than Moscow. Uh, you know, Kiev is a spiritual home with a Slav, of Slavic Christianity. Moscow didn't even exist when the city was founded in the 900s. And I realized that the three most public, sort of publicly sacred places in Kiev are not government buildings. In fact, the, we're, we're, you know, I don't think I've even seen uh, the presidential uh, palace, whatever it's called there. It's not a prominent building, sort of tucked away. Uh, the three most prominent public spaces in Kiev, it's a total opposite to, uh, of Moscow, are about uh, democracy and religion. So you have the Maidan, which is the ancient uh, Persian Turkish word for public square, uh, this vast square where the Ukrainians have their protest. Uh, that that is like that's the ultimate form of their government. This is when the people take to the Maidan uh, to to demand their liberties, as they do throughout you know as, as they've done several times throughout the, uh, since the fall of the Soviet Union. Uh, and then above the Maidan, there's a ridge, and on the ridge, you have the uh, Green Dome Church of Saint Sophia, uh, which is older than Moscow itself. It's more than a thousand years old. Uh, that is really the spiritual home of Slavic Christianity. And then down the boulevard on that same ridge uh, from uh, St. Sophia, from the, from the green domes, you can see the gold domes uh, of the church, the monastery of St. Michael the Archangel, which was destroyed by the Soviets and then rebuilt in the 1990s. And I realized that, you know, the heart of Russia and Moscow is the Kremlin. And the heart of Kiev is the Maidan, the center of democracy, which is more sacred to the Ukrainians than parliament. That's why the parliament building doesn't matter. Because the real heart of it is the Maidan, the public square, and, and their tradition and religion. And, that's what, and the, so those two churches, uh, St. Michael and St. Sophia. And then as I was running around Kiev, you, know, you see the statue of St. Vladimir the Great, uh, where, where, where he, uh, at the very spot on the Dnipro River, where he became Christian and sort of introduced Christianity uh, to this region. 
And then throughout the city, there are uh, banners uh, in English uh, telling people that St. Michael the Archangel is both the patron and the symbol of Kiev. And for someone like Tucker Carlson, who, you know, says he really believes in tradition and religion, those things don't really exist in Moscow. Even if you look at the stats in 2019, very few people go to church in Moscow. In fact, there are more uh, churchgoers in the Russian Orthodox Church in Ukraine than actually in, in Russia, which is a much larger country. And so there is this deep sense of lived tradition and religion here that, you, that it certainly Tucker Carlson's audience would appreciate. And here it's not polemical. It's just part of life. And, you know, especially as you go around the city and you see these reminders that St. Michael, you know, the, 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 the Judeo-Christian uh, symbol of good versus evil, that he's the protector and the symbol of, of Kiev City. Uh, it's a reassuring thing a little bit when there's missiles and drones flying overhead. Hmm. Uh, and, you know, the, 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 you know, and then you see why people want, you know, believe in this sort of spiritual protection. Uh, but that is so. So the symbols of Kiev are about democracy and religion. And the symbols of Moscow are power and, and control and corruption. Uh, just a geographic way to look at the divide between these two nations. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Friday after the show, I had the opportunity to chat with Joe on a Zoom call. And, uh, Joseph, you inspired me to dig into my roots a bit more. I, I mentioned that uh, sometimes my dad would say he was born in Kiev. Sometimes he'd say Odessa. And I, I, I was talking to my cousin, who reminds me that those two cities are about 200, 300 miles apart. And apparently, uh, my dad and 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 also my cousin's father, they were brothers, were born uh, in the shuttle that was outside of those towns near a railroad station where our grandfather apparently was a station agent. So maybe that's why I got conflicting answers over the years, uh, that he wasn't born in either of those two cities, really. He was on the outskirts somewhere. So I know you're going to help and, and, dig into my <laughs> roots <laughs> <laughs> and maybe he was in the real world business and moving around. And um, yeah, well, I need to go to Odessa soon so we can investigate uh, uh, those roots. And uh, by the way, Odessa, that lovely city by the sea, which I hope you get to see sometime soon, was uh, uh, hit by drones hmm. uh, the past days. And after we talked, uh, after you and I talked on Friday, uh, Kharkiv was hit. Uh, the Russians hit a fuel depot or uh, some kind of petrol station. Uh, houses were burning, and you know, while Americans were celebrating the Grammys and Super Bowl and all that, you know, two years ago celebrities cared, and now they're quiet about Ukraine. And, and in Kharkiv, there was a house of five, and to re- to read the account of how it, the, the family was burned alive, uh, there was an, a newborn baby uh, that uh, the the temperature was so high, the ba- the bones, the whole baby, everything turned into ashes, unidentifiable, uh, and and you could find the mother uh, and two sons in the bathroom burnt to death. Uh, so this horror and, and evil is still continuing uh, while the world kind of moves on. Yeah, terrible. I mean, after talking to you, I, I almost felt guilty going on with uh, my weekend of uh, a Super Bowl party and, and so forth, because I know what you're going through over there. All right. Till tomorrow, Joseph. Thank you, as always. Till tomorrow. Thank you, Bob.